Section twenty four of The Morals, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Morals, Volume One, by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin consolation to apollonius part three crantor saith to be innocent is the greatest comfort in afflictions i assent to him and affirm that it is the noblest remedy besides the indication of our love to the deceased consists not in grieving ourselves for him but in paying respect to his fame by honorable remembrance for no good man deserves elegies but panegyrics and we should rather celebrate his loss by an honorable remembrance than lament it and offer up rather first fruits of joy to the gods and not tears which sorrow extorts from us for he who ceaseth to be amongst men becomes partaker of a divine life is free from the servitude of the body and all those solicitous cares which they who are embarrassed with a mortal life of necessity must undergo till they have finished the course which providence hath marked out for them and this life nature hath not given us as a perpetual possession but hath clogged it with restrictions and conditions of fate those therefore who are the masters of their reason ought not to be transported by the death of friends beyond the limits of nature and a just moderation unto unprofitable and barbarous complaints and so wait till that comes upon them which hath happened to many to have their vital moisture exhausted before their tears and to be carried to their own graves in those mourning weeds they put on for others where their sorrow must lie buried with those evils they provoked upon themselves by their own imprudence to whom that of homer may be appositely applied whilst others they lament with weeping eyes the darkness of the night doth them surprise wherefore in this case we should often thus reason with ourselves shall we put an end to our sorrow or shall we grieve all the days of our life to make it infinite is the last degree of infatuation for we have seen those who have been in the deepest circumstances of dejection to be so mitigated by time that they have banqueted upon those tombs which before they could not endure the sight of without screeching out and beating their breasts but which they can now dance round with music and all the postures of jollity therefore to be obstinate in our grief is the resolution of madness if then thou hast purposed within thyself that it shall have an end join this consideration with it that time will assuage it too for what is once done even the deity himself cannot unravel therefore that which hath happened to us beyond our hope and contrary to our opinion hath palpably shown us what is wont from the same causes to befall others what's the result then cannot any discipline teach us 
nor cannot we reason with ourselves that the earth with evils doth abound as many in the sea are found and thus likewise the fates have so encompassed men with ills that even the wind can find no entrance for many as crantor tells us and those very wise men not now but long ago have deplored the condition of human nature esteeming life a punishment and to be born a man the highest pitch of calamity this aristotle tells us silenus declared when he was brought captive to midas i think it best to quote the expressions of the philosopher himself in his book entitled eudemus or of the soul wherein he speaks after this manner wherefore thou best and happiest of mankind if we think those blessed and happy who have departed this life then it is not only unlawful but even blasphemy to speak anything that is false or contumelious of them since they are now changed into a better and more refined nature and this my opinion is so old that the original and author of it is utterly unknown but it hath been derived down to us even from eternity so established is the truth of it besides thou seest what is so familiar in men's mouths and hath been for many years a trite expression what is that saith he he answered him it is best not to be born at all and next to that it is more eligible to die than to live and this is confirmed even by divine testimony pertinently to this they say that midas after hunting asked his captive silenus somewhat urgently what was the most desirable thing amongst men at first he would return no answer but was obstinately silent at last when midas would not give over importuning him he broke out into these words though very unwillingly thou seed of an evil genius and precarious offspring of hard fortune whose life is but for a day why dost thou compel me to tell thee those things it is better thou wert ignorant of for those live the least disturbed who know not their misfortunes but for men the best for them is not to be born at all nor to be made partakers of the most excellent nature not to be is best for both sexes this should have the first place in our choice and the next to this is when we are born to die as soon as we can it is plain therefore that he declared the condition of the dead to be better than that of the living i could bring millions of examples to justify this topic but i will not be long we are not therefore to lament those who die in the bloom of their years as if they were spoiled of things which we call enjoyments in a longer life for it is uncertain as we have often said whether they are deprived of good or evil for the evil in the world far exceeds the good the good we obtain hardly and with anxious endeavor but the evil easily befalls us for they say evils are linked together and by a mutual dependence of causes follow one another 
but the good lie scattered and disjoined and with great difficulty are brought within the compass of our life therefore we seem to have forgot our condition for not only is it true as euripides hath it that the things we do possess are not our own but in general no man can claim a strict propriety in anything he hath when gods do riches lend it is but just that when they please we should resign our trust we ought not therefore to take it amiss if they demand those things which they lent us only for a small time for even your common brokers unless they are unjust will not be displeased if they are called upon to refund their pawns and if one of them is not altogether so ready to deliver them thou mayest say to him without any injury hast thou forgot that thou receivest them upon the condition to restore them the same parity of reason holds amongst all men the gods have put life into our hands by a fatal necessity and there is no prefixed time when what is so deposited will be required of us as the brokers know not when their pawns will be demanded if therefore any one is angry when he is dying himself or resents the death of his children is it not very plain that he hath forgot that he himself is a man and that he hath begotten children as frail as himself for a man that is in his wits cannot be ignorant that he is a mortal creature and born to this very end that he must die if niobe as it is in the fable had had this sentence always at hand that she must at length die and could not in the ever-flowering bloom of youth remain nor loaded with children like a fruitful tree behold the sun's sweet light she would never have sunk to such a degree of desperation as to desire to throw off her life to ease the burthen of her sorrow and call upon the gods to hurry her into the utmost destruction there are two sentences inscribed upon the delphic oracle hugely accommodated to the usages of man's life know thyself and nothing too much and upon these all other precepts depend and they themselves accord and harmonize with each other and each seems to illustrate the energy of the other for in know thyself is included nothing too much and so again in the latter is comprised know thyself and ion hath spoken of it thus this sentence know thyself is but a word but only jove himself could do the thing and thus pindar this sentence brief do nothing to excess wise men have always praised exceedingly he therefore that hath these impressed upon his mind as the precepts of the pythian oracle can easily conform himself to all the affairs of life and bear them handsomely considering his nature so that he is neither lifted up to arrogance upon a prosperous event 
nor when an adverse happens is dejected into complaint through pusillanimity and that fear of death which is so congenial to us both which proceed from the ignorance of those things which fall out in human life by necessity and fatal decree the pythagoreans speak handsomely to this purpose against those evils thou shouldest not repine which are inflicted by the powers divine thus the tragedian aeschylus he store of wisdom and of virtue hath whom nothing from the gods provokes to wrath euripides thus he that is passive when the fates command is wise and all the gods doth understand in another place so he that can bear those things which men befall him wise and modest we may justly call but many there are who blame all things and whatsoever unexpectedly happens to them they think is procured them by the malignity of fortune and the spite of some evil genius wherefore they are querulous and cry out upon every occasion inveighing against the bitterness of their mishaps their complaints we may not unfitly obviate with this expression the gods do hurt thee not but thou thyself even thou thyself through perverseness and want of good instruction and by reason of this false and deceiving opinion they accuse any kind of death for if one die upon his travel they exclaim after this manner the wretch his father being absent dies nor did his aged mother close his eyes if he die in his own country with his parents about him they lament that he is ravished out of their hands and hath left them nothing but regret for his loss if he die silent giving them no instructions at parting they complain thus his tender dying words i did not hear which i in my remembrance still should bear if he spoke anything before he breathed out his soul they keep those last accents as fuel to maintain their sorrow still kindled if he die a sudden death they cry out that he is snatched away if chronicle pains waste him they will tell you that the slow distemper hath emaciated him to death thus every appearance take it which way you will is sufficient to stir up your complaints these things the poets have introduced and the chiefest among them homer who sung after this manner as a poor father helpless and undone mourns o'er the ashes of an only son takes a sad pleasure the last bones to burn and pours in tears ere yet they close the urn and whether these things are justly lamented doth not yet appear but see what he elsewhere sings born in his elder years his only boy who was designed his riches to enjoy who knows but that the deity 
with a fatherly providence and out of tenderness to mankind foreseeing what would happen hath taken some purposely out of this life by an untimely death so we should think that nothing has befallen them which they should have sought to shun for naught that cometh by necessity is hard neither of those things which fall out by a precedent ratiocination or a subsequent and many by a timely death have been withdrawn from greater calamities so that it hath been good for some never to have been born at all for others that as soon as life hath been blown in it should be extinguished for some that they should live a little longer and for others again that they should be cropped in the prime of their youth these several sorts of deaths should be taken in good part since fate is inevitable therefore it becomes men well educated to consider that those who have paid their debt to mortality have only gone before us a little time that the longest life is but as a point in respect of eternity and that many who have indulged their sorrow to excess have themselves followed in a small while those that they have lamented having reaped no profit out of their complaints but macerated themselves with voluntary afflictions since then the time of our pilgrimage in this life is but short we ought not to consume ourselves with sordid grief and so render ourselves unhappy by afflicting our minds and tormenting our bodies but we should endeavor after a more manly and rational sort of life and not associate ourselves with those who will be companions in grief and by flattering our tears will only excite them the more but rather with those who will diminish our grief by solemn and generous consolation and we ought to hear and keep in our remembrance those words of homer wherewith hector answers andromache comforting her after this manner andromache my soul's far better part why with untimely sorrows heaves thy heart no hostile hand can antedate my doom till fate condemns me to the silent tomb fixed is the term to all the race of earth and such the hard condition of our birth no force can then resist no flight can save all sink alike the fearful and the brave which the poet expresseth in another place thus the thread which at his birth for him was spun having these things fixed in our minds all vain and fruitless sorrow will be superseded the time that we have all to live being but very short we ought to spare and husband it and not lay it out too prodigally upon sorrow but rather spend it in tranquillity deserting the mournful colors and so take care of our own bodies and consult the safety of those who live with us it is requisite that we should call to mind what reasons we urged to our kinsmen and friends when they were in the like calamities 
when we exhorted them to suffer these usual accidents of life with a common patience and bear mortal things with humanity lest being prepared with instructions for other men's misfortunes we reap no benefit ourselves out of the remembrance of those consolations and so do not cure our minds by the sovereign application of reason for in anything a delay is less dangerous than in sorrow and when by every one it is so tritely said that he that procrastinates in an affair contests with destruction i think the character will more fitly sit upon him who defers the removing his troubles and the perturbations of his mind we ought also to cast our eyes upon those conspicuous examples who have borne the deaths of their sons generously and with a great spirit such as were anaxagoras of clazomene demosthenes of athens dion of syracuse king antigonus and many others who have lived either in our times or in the memory of our fathers they report of anaxagoras that when he was reading natural philosophy to his pupils and reasoning with them sudden news was brought him of the death of his son he presently stopped short in his lecture and said this to his auditors i knew that i begot my son mortal and of pericles who was surnamed olympius for his wisdom and the strength of his eloquence when he heard that both his sons were dead perilous and xanthippus how he behaved himself upon this accident protagoras tells us in these words when his sons saith he being in the first verdure of their youth and handsome lads died within eight days he bore the calamity without any repining for he was of a pacific temper from whence there was every day an accession of advantages towards the making him happy the being free from grief and thereby acquiring a great reputation amongst his fellow-citizens for every one that saw him bear this calamity with so brave a resolution thought him magnanimous and indeed entertained an higher opinion of him than he strictly deserved for he was conscious to himself of some weakness and defects in cases of this nature now after he had received the news of the death of his sons he put on a garland according to the custom of his country and being clothed in white he made an harangue to the people was the author of safe and rational counsels and stirred up the courage of his athenians to warlike expeditions chronicles tell us that when an express came out of the field to xenophon the socratic as he was sacrificing which acquainted him that his son perished in the fight he pulled the garland from his head and inquired after what manner he fell and it being told him that he died gallantly making a great slaughter of his enemies after he had paused a while to recollect his thoughts and quiet his first emotion of concern with reason he adorned his head again finished the sacrifice and spoke thus to the messengers 
i did not make it my request to the gods that my son might be immortal or long-lived for it is not manifest whether this was convenient for him or not but that he might have integrity in his principles and be a lover of his country and now i have my desire dion of syracuse as he was consulting with his friends concerning some affairs heard a great noise and crying out and asking what was the matter he was told the accident that his son was killed with a fall from the top of the house he was not at all surprised or astonished at the disaster but commanded the dead body to be delivered to the women that they might bury it according to custom but he went on with his first deliberations and reassumed his discourse in that part where this accident had broken it off it is said that demosthenes the orator imitated him upon the loss of his only and dearest daughter about which aeschines thinking to upbraid him spoke after this manner within seven days after the death of his daughter before he had performed the decencies of sorrow and paid those common rites to the memory of the deceased he put on a garland clothed himself in white and sacrificed thereby outraging decency though he had lost his only daughter the one which had first called him father thus did aeschines with the strokes of his oratory accuse demosthenes not knowing that he rather deserved a panegyric upon this occasion when he rejected his sorrow and preferred the love of his country to the tenderness and compassion he ought to have for his relations king antigonus when he heard the death of his son alcyonius who was slain in battle looking steadily upon the messengers of these sad tidings after a little interval of silence and with a modest countenance spoke thus o alcyonius thou hast fallen later than i thought thou wouldst so brisk wast thou to run upon the thickest of thy enemies having no regard either to thy own safety or to my admonitions every one praiseth these men for the bravery of their spirit but none can imitate what they have done through the weakness of their minds which proceeds from want of good instruction but although there are many examples extant both in the greek and roman stories of those who have borne the death of their relations not only with decency but courage i think these that i have related to be a sufficient motive to thee to keep tormenting grief at a distance and so ease thyself of that labor which hath no profit in it and is all in vain for that virtuous men die in the prime of their years by the kindness of the gods to whom they are peculiarly dear i have already told thee in the former part of my discourse and will give a short hint of it now bearing witness to that which is so prettily said by menander he whom the gods do love dies young but perhaps my dear apollonius thou wilt thus object to me my young apollonius was blessed by fortune in his life and i ought first to have died that he might bury me for this is according to nature according to our human nature i confess 
but providence hath other measures and that supreme order which governs the world is very different for thy son being now made happy it was not requisite according to nature that he should tarry in this life longer than the time prefixed him but that having consummated the term of his duration he should perform his fatal journey nature recalling him to herself but he died untimely you may say upon that account he is the happier not having been sensible of those evils which are incident to life for euripides said truly the time of being here we style amiss we call it life but truly labor tis thy apollonius died in the beautiful flower of his years a youth in all points perfect who gained the love and provoked the emulation of all his contemporaries he was dutiful to his father and mother obliging to his domestics was a scholar and to comprehend all in a word he was a lover of mankind he had a veneration for the old men that were his friends as if they had been his parents had an affection for his companions and equals reverenced his instructors was hospitable and mild to his guests and strangers gracious to all and beloved by all as well for his attractive countenance as for his lovely affability therefore being accompanied with the applauses of thy piety and his own he hath only made a digression from this mortal life to eternity as if he had withdrawn from the entertainment before he grew absurd and before the staggerings of drunkenness came upon him which are incident to a long old age now if the sayings of the old philosophers and poets are true as there is probability to think that honors and high seats of dignity are conferred upon the righteous after they are departed this life and if as it is said a particular region is appointed for their souls to dwell in you ought to cherish very fair hopes that your son stands numbered amongst those blessed inhabitants of the state of the pious after death pindar discourseth after this manner there the sun shines with an unsullied light when all the world below is thick with night there all the richly scented plants do grow and there the crimson-colored roses blow each flower blooming on its tender stalk and all these meadows are their evening walk there trees peculiarly delight the sense with their exhaled perfumes of frankincense the boughs their noble burdens cannot hold the weight must sink them when the fruit is gold some do the horse unto the menage bring others unto the tuneful lute do sing there's plenty to excess of everything the region always doth serene appear the sun and pious flames do make it clear where fragrant gums do from the altars rise when to the gods they offer sacrifice and proceeding farther in another lamentation he spake thus concerning the soul just we that distribution may call 
which to each man impartially doth fall it doth decide the dull contentious strife and easeth the calamities of life death doth its efforts on the body spend but the aspiring soul doth upwards tend nothing can damp that bright and subtle flame immortal as the gods from whence it came but this sometimes a drowsy nap will take when all the other members are awake fancy in various dreams doth to it show what punishments unto each crime is due what pleasures are reserved for pious deeds and with what scourges the incestuous bleeds divine plato has spoken many things of the immortality of the soul in that book which he calls his phaedo not a few in his republic his menon and his gorgias and has some scattered expressions in the rest of his dialogues the things which are written by him in his dialogue concerning the soul i will send you by themselves illustrated with my commentaries upon them according to your request i will now only quote those which are opportune and to the present purpose and they are the words of socrates to callicles the athenian who was the companion and scholar of gorgias the rhetorician for so saith socrates in plato here then saith he a most elegant story which you i fancy will think to be a fable but i take it to be a truth for the things which i shall tell you have nothing but reality in them jupiter neptune and pluto as homer tells us divided amongst themselves the kingdom which they received by inheritance from their father but there was a law established concerning men in the reign of saturn which was then valid and still remains in force amongst the gods that that mortal which had led a just and pious life should go when he died into the fortunate islands of the blessed and there dwell in happiness free from all misery but he that had lived impiously and in contempt of the gods should be shackled with vengeance and be thrust into that prison which they call tartarus in the time of saturn and in the first beginning of jove's empire the living judged the living and that the same day that they were to die whereupon the decisions of the bench were not rightly managed therefore pluto and his curators under him came out of these fortunate islands and complained to jupiter that men were sent to both places who were not worthy i saith jupiter will take care that this thing be not practised for the future for the reason that the sentences are now unjustly passed is that the guilty come clothed to the tribunal and whilst they are yet alive for some of profligate dispositions are yet palliated with a beautiful outside with riches and titles of nobility and so when they come to be arraigned many will offer themselves as witnesses to swear that they have lived very pious lives the judges are dazzled with these appearances and they sit upon them too in their robes so that their minds are as it were covered and obscured with eyes and ears 
and indeed with the encumbrance of the whole body the judges and the prisoners being clothed is thus a very great impediment therefore in the first place the foreknowledge of death is to be taken away for now they see the end of their line and prometheus has been commanded to see that this be no longer allowed next they ought to be divested of all dress and ornament and come dead to the tribunal the judge himself is to be naked and dead too that with his own soul he may view the naked soul of each one so soon as he is dead when he is now forsaken of his relations and has left behind him all his gaieties in the other world and so justice will be impartially pronounced deliberating on this with myself before i received your advice i have constituted my sons judges minus and radamanthus from asia and aeacus from europe these therefore after they have departed this life shall assume their character and exercise it in the field and in the road where two ways divide themselves the one leading to the fortunate islands and the other to the deep abyss so radamanthus shall judge the asians and aeacus the europeans but to minus i will grant the authority of a final appeal that if anything hath escaped the notice of the others it shall be subjected to his cognizance as to the last resort of a supreme judge that so it may be rightly decided what journey every one ought to take these are the things callicles which i have heard and think to be true and i draw this rational inference from them that death in my opinion is nothing else but the separation of two things nearly united which are soul and body these collections my dear apollonius i have joined together with all the accuracy i could and out of them composed this consolatory letter i now send thee which is very necessary to dispel thy melancholy humour and put a period to thy sighs i have paid likewise that deference which became me to the ashes of thy son who is the darling of the gods such an honour being most acceptable to those whom fame hath consecrated to immortality thou wilt therefore do handsomely to believe the reasons i have urged to thee and gratify thy deceased son by shaking off this unprofitable sorrow which eats into thy mind and afflicts thy body and again returning to that course of humour which nature hath chalked out and the former customs of thy life have made familiar to thee for as when thy son lived amongst us he could not without the deepest regret see thee or his mother sad so now that he is amongst the gods enjoying the intimacy of their conversation such a prospect from thence must be much more displeasing therefore take up the resolutions of a good and generous man and of one who loved his son and so extricate thyself the mother of the lad thy kinsmen and friends at once from this great infelicity betake thyself to a more tranquil sort of life which as it will be acceptable to thy son 
will also be extremely pleasing to all of us who have that concern for thee that we ought to have end of section twenty four recording by lucretia b